Well, the year was 1985, and I was 13 years old. And one of the things that I loved to do was take my parents' car for a joyride. And so it was me and my brother. What we would do is we, we would get in my, my mom's uh, Capri uh, Chevy station wagon. And uh, we were, I was a little short back then. That was before my growth spurt. And so I was a little short back then, and so I could hardly touch the pedals, and I could barely see over the steering wheel. But Josh was on the side. He was right next to me, and he was my eyes. And so I was the, the pedals. He was the eyes. And we would take the car for a joyride. Well, we began by just going around the block. So we did that. Mom and Dad were gone. Went around the block. Everything was fine. It was fun. And so then we started to cruise the neighborhood. All around the side streets, around the block, down the street, all over the side streets. But there was one day where uh, we decided to, to bring it up, to take it up a notch, to bring it to a new level. We thought, let's go out onto the main drag. Let's go out. I remember it was Spring Street. It's a two-lane highway. Let's go out on the main drag. And so our parents were gone at the grocery store, and we went out on the main drag on Spring Street there. And there we were cruising uh, down a main street, and it was exhilarating. I mean, I, just the freedom and the exhilaration and the sense of, of just excitement there of being on that road. And we were driving down the street, but suddenly everything uh, stopped. All the fun stopped because there, uh, pulling out of the Lucky's parking lot, the grocery store, was mom and dad. Now, dad didn't see it. Dad was looking down at a magazine or something, but my, my, we locked eyes with mom. And she pointed at us like this. What were we going to do? We kept on going, and we thought, okay, what do we do? Do we go home? Do we just take the Chevy Capri to Mexico? Like, what do we do? <laughs> and after a while, a little bit of deliberation, we decided to finally turn the car around and go back home. Well, we got home. Mom and Dad were already there. And we walked into the, the, the backyard there where my mom was doing, uh, she was doing yard work, and I felt the, the guilt, and I felt the, sh the shame. And I, I, was, I was waiting for the, the biggest punishment that I would receive uh, in my life thus far, just waiting for the axe to fall. We came into the backyard. Mom, mom looked at us, and she said, you're lucky Dad didn't see that. And then she offered us free pardon. She said, you're forgiven. Don't ever do it again. There is nothing like the joy and freedom of forgiveness of absolute free pardon. That day, I had a new respect and gratitude for mom. And you know what? I really, I never did that again. There's nothing like the joy and freedom of forgive, forgiveness. This is why Psalm 34, uh, one of, Psalm 32, one of the uh, penitential psalms says this, blessed is the one, oh, how happy, oh, how fortunate is the one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is forgiven. There is nothing like forgiveness. There is nothing more important for practical living than knowing God's forgiveness in your life. But it's hard, isn't it? Isn't it hard to really feel forgiven? I mean, it's one thing to be forgiven of, of taking mom's car out for a joyride. You know, when you're a little kid, you do little kid sins, little silly things. It's easy to forgive, be forg feel forgiven for those sorts of things. But what about those adult sins? You know, you grow older and your sins get bigger and more serious. You know, and we begin to live with a sense of shame and guilt for some of the big things that we've done. You know, this one thing to take mom and dad's car out for a joyride, but what about, you know, when you think about your first failed marriage? And you hope nobody asks you about that because it brings to mind such shame and embarrassment. 
right? It's easy to be forgiven for a small thing, but, but what about, there's almost whole seasons of your life, you know? That time in college where you just think, oh, I wish I could go back and relive that, you know, what I did that night or that season or that semester in college. Things that we've done that we carry with us, that we live with, a sense of guilt and shame. How do we feel forgiven for those things? How do we feel clean for those sorts of things? Forgiveness. Well, we've been in a series called God Has a Name, and what we're looking at is God's character. Uh, we're looking at Psalm 34, verse 6 and 7, where God describes what he is like. Okay? This is the one and only place in all the Bible where God describes himself. And because of that, it's become one of the most quoted verses in the Bible by the Bible. The biblical authors circle back to this verse again and again because God tells us here, this is how I want you to view me. And God said that he was compassionate in these verses. And then he said he was slow to anger. And then last week he said he was a God who was loving. And today we're going to learn that God is a forgiver. And this is not a sidebar of who God is. This is, this is not sort of a little thing about who God is. Central to who God is, a really important central part of God's character is that he is a God who forgives. And this is so crucial because this is what we need. This is what we need. The God of the Bible is a God who forgives our sins. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And what I want to do is I want to look at these verses from three different angles. We're going to look at God's forgiveness for, from three different angles. It's hard to feel God's forgiveness. How do, we, how do we learn how to get that into our lives? We're going to see God's forgiveness from three different angles. Number one, we're going to see the need for forgiveness. Second of all, we're going to see the nature of forgiveness. And then finally, the cost of forgiveness. And I think as we, as we drill down into these things, we're going to feel and sense God's forgiveness in our lives. So first, let's look at the need for forgiveness. Uh, Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says, The Lord passed before him, Moses that is, and said, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and here it is, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who, by, who will by no means clear the guilty, Visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Such good news about God's forgiveness, but I want you to see that in the passage, there is also bad news. There is good news and there's bad news. The good news is that God forgives us, but the bad news is that there are things about us, right? There are things in our lives, realities that might be hard to face, that need to be forgiven. And he, names, uh, he uses three words to describe these things, uh, God does. He says, first, we, you need to be forgiven of sin. Now, the word sin there uh, literally means to miss the mark, right? These are things that we do. We simply miss the mark, or the old Hebrew word is to go off the path. And so uh, these are just things that you do out of foolishness. You know, you, there's the standard out there. There's the glory of God. There's the you that you're supposed to be. And then there's the, the way that we've missed the mark to, of that standard all the time. Uh, dumb decisions, spur-of-the-moment things, uh, foolish things that we do where we just simply go off the path, miss the mark. And what happens when you go off the path? You, you know, sometimes you go into weeds, or maybe you might fall into a ditch. You might fall off a cliff. You might get lost. These, this is, what, this is the, way, the Bible's way of describing things that you do called sins. Right? Maybe you don't intentionally do them. Maybe you don't even want to do them. 
but you find yourself blowing up at your spouse, getting angry. You didn't mean to do it, but you did it. You missed the mark. Or maybe you find yourself going to that internet website. You know, you don't want to do that. You wish you could stop doing that. But there you find yourself doing it again. You find yourself, uh, you know, you, you, you want to get up early in the morning and read your Bible and, and spend some time in prayer, but you put the snooze button on. And, and what do you do? You're, you're missing the mark. You're just falling short of the you that you want to be, that God's calling you to be. And here's the thing about sins is the Bible says that every single one of us sins. Uh, the Bible says, all, like we, all, all, all we like sheep have gone astray. All of us have wandered off the path. Every single one of us. Uh, Romans says, all have sinned. All have missed the mark. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is something that is widespread. Probably all of us since that this morning. And we need to be forgiven of those things. But we also need to be forgiven of something called transgression. And this is a different Hebrew word. It's the Hebrew word pesha. And what is transgression? Well, transgression is rebellious self-assertion. This is not just wandering off the path or doing something accidentally. This is doing wrong on purpose. This is intentionally crossing the line. Uh, St. Augustine, in his great book, The Confessions, he remembers an event in his past when he was 16 years old where he went into a pear orchard, him and his friends, and they stole a, a basket full of pears. And he says, the odd thing about it is, he says, this is so strange considering, number one, I wasn't even hungry. And he says, number two, I didn't even like pears. He says, in fact, after I stole the pears, I dumped them on the ground. I didn't even want them. What is that? He says, there is something in us that when somebody says no, when somebody puts it, we resist the limits that are put on us. Right? We, we don't like people to tell us what we do. We want to do what we want, and so a transgression is willing disobedience. It's doing wrong on purpose. We've got a next-door neighbor that uh, often hits my kids, and he always says he does it on accident. But one day I watched out of the front window, and uh, they were playing kickball, and uh, my son uh, kicked the ball and uh, made, got to a base, and the little boy came up and just whacked him. And I came out, and I said, you whacked my son, and he says, it was an accident. And I said, oh, no, you did that on purpose. And there are things that you do on purpose. There are things that, that they weren't accidents. You, you premeditated it. You wanted it. You knew it was wrong. You did it anyway. And this sort of thing needs to be forgiven. Uh, there's a, Francis Spooford uh, puts it this way. He says, sin, sin is this human tendency or transgression is the human tendency not just to lurch and stumble and screw up by accident, but sin is our active inclination to break stuff. Uh, stuff uh, here including promises, relationships uh, w- with people we care about and our own well-being. But then he also uses the word iniquity. So God forgives sins, transgressions, and iniquities. What are iniquities? So the, the word iniquity literally means to bend or to twist. Okay, so an iniquity is when you bend or twist God's rules. But it's also when you bend and twist yourself. And the two are the same thing. You see, God's rules are a reflection of God's character. And you are made in God's image. And so every time you transgress one of God's rules, you, can, you transgress yourself. Every time you lie or hate or commit adultery, you're not just transgressing a rule, bending a rule. You're bending yourself. You're twisting yourself. Uh, there's, a, I, there's a personality test called the Enneagram. Anybody taken the Enneagram? 
Okay, those of you who didn't, don't, didn't, haven't taken it, uh, don't take it because it's super depressing. Because uh, each personality represents a number on the scale and they've got sort of the ideal you and then the twisted you, right? And so the eight is like a, you're, a, you're a go-getter, you're outgoing, you like to control and to control things. The dark underbelly of that is that you are a power guy and you oppress people and you bully people. Right? Or a nine, you know, you're a peacemaker and everything's cool and you're totally laid back. The dark side of that is that you're lazy. And you won't confront people. You see, there's a twisted you. And that's what sin does. It twists our personalities. It gives us a dark underbelly, a shadow side. You see, there's a need to be forgiven. And, and here's another thing. is The passage mentions something called guilt. Right? When you do these things, they, they stick to you. It's not just that you do them and you move on. They stick to you because there's something called guilt. Why? Because you're a human being. You're a moral being. And you're made in God's image. And so when you transgress God's law, you feel guilty about it. You feel shame and embarrassment and wrongness about it. You know, a shark in the water attacks a surfer. You know, he sees the surfer... Uh, and mistakes the surfer for a, a seal, right? And so it comes up and bites the surfer's arm off. There's nothing for that surfer to forgive. A shark is doing what a shark does. It's not a moral being. But you are made in God's image. You are a moral being. And so when you do something wrong, it sticks to you and you feel it. And this is why when you read all the great literature, Ed Edgar Allan Poe's Telltale Heart, Crime and Punishment, Franz Kafka's works, works. You know, you, you, or uh, Shakespeare, you remember, uh, you know, uh, Lady Macbeth, and she's saying, out, damn spot, what's wrong? It won't go away. I'm trying and trying, but I can't get this, this, this stain off. And so we live with it. We have a hard time getting rid of it. And here's another problem is we can't go back. We can't change the past. A deed that you do cannot be undone. And don't you wish you could? Don't, you know, we, we, we replay the tape in our mind and we think about that, that time in college or that season in our life and we wish we could go back and change the past, but your life is not like a movie theater or a movie, a movie, <laughs> not a movie theater, a movie where you can go back and edit. Time in which we inescapably live is irreversible. Miroslav Volf puts it this way, utterly implacable to our pleas, time runs and runs, for, uh, runs only forward. Until our time is up, we can do new deeds, but we can't undo the old ones. And that's why we need forgiveness. You can't go back. You cannot change the past. But you've done this thing. It's out there. And it's a stain, and it's, and it's making you feel guilty. And so what do we do? Well, the answer is, as Wolf said, is we need forgiveness. And so let's look at that. The need for forgiveness, but now let's look at the nature of forgiveness. The good news is that their forgiveness is available. The God of the Bible is a forgiver. He is a God who wants to forgive. He's made you in his image and you've transgressed his law, but, but he says, listen, this is core to who I am. I am a God of forgiveness. In fact, this is the plot line of the whole Bible. There's one rabbi who said that when God was about to create the world, he looked at the world and he saw all the beauty and all the wonder that he was going to create, but he also saw all the darkness and all the brokenness and all the horrible things that humans would do after he created them. And so the rabbi said, before God decided to create the world, he decided to forgive the world. 
and it moves the plot line of the Bible forward. We've sinned, and Israel has sinned, and humanity has sinned, but what does God do? God is determined to forgive, and so the whole message, the core of the message of Jesus is that the God of the Bible wants to forgive you. He's willing to forgive you, and he is able to forgive you. But what is forgiveness? Well, first of all, we need to see what it's not. The God's forgiveness is not affirmation. It's not God, you know, like a doting grandparent saying, you know what, it's okay. Boys will be boys, girls will be girls, things, things fall apart, you know, the sinner doesn't hold, uh, whatever, it's, it's a bummer, but hey, don't worry about it, you're, you're an okay person, you're not that bad. God, the, forgiveness is not God affirming you, because sometimes he can't, we do bad things. And God doesn't brush that stuff under the rug. Forgiveness is not affirmation, but forgiveness is also not negotiation. Some of us are doing that with God. We come to God and we think, okay, I've done this bad thing and I've got this stain and how do I get it out? Well, I'm going to begin to negotiate with God. I'll give a little bit more money at church. Yeah, I did that, but I'm going to give more money at church. I'm going to, yes, I, had, I did that in the past, but I'm going to make up for it. And so you're working with God, you're negotiating with God, but this doesn't work because, you know, like we said, you cannot change your past. You can't go back and change that. And even all the good things you do in the for going forward can't atone for that. It's too big. And God is a holy God. Negotiating with God does not work. You're going to lose every time. It's exhausting, and it does not get the stain out. And so what do we do? We need to look to God and receive his forgiveness. A bare-bones definition. This is God's forgiveness. It's number one, naming the wrongdoing and condemning it. I did something wrong. You, you, you name a wrongdoing and you, and you condemn it as wrong. And this is important because there's a lot of things that you feel guilty for that aren't wrong. Honestly, guys, sometimes I go home on a Sunday and I feel guilty for preaching a bad sermon. We live in a culture of achievement. You know, and if I don't do what I, what, where my standards are, sometimes I feel guilt about that. That's not, that's not sin, preaching a bad sermon unless I didn't study or something. Some of you feel guilty because you're not thin and perfect. Because we live in a culture where there's this ideal and there's a standard out there. You feel guilt because you physically are not pretty enough or handsome enough. Or maybe you didn't get that promotion at work. If you fail to achieve, this is not sin. You don't have to feel guilty for that. And a lot of things I do is, a lot of times as a pastor, I spend time convincing people not to feel guilty for things they shouldn't feel guilty about. But there is the law, and there are things that God says are, are wrong. And forgiveness begins with us acknowledging those things. I did wrong. I transgressed your law. You name it. You put it out there, and you confess it. Forgiveness, forgiveness begins with naming the wrong, but also it begins, or it, it, it's part of this is receiving the gift of God not counting the wrong against us. Forgiveness is God lifting the burden off the shoulder, our shoulders for the wrongdoing. In other words, forgiveness is a generous release of a genuine debt. God saying, yes, you did that, and no, you can't work your way back into my presence, and no, I'm not gonna brush it under the rug, but here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna name it, and I'm gonna take it away. I'm going to lift that thing off your shoulders. I'm going to release you from the debt. And this is beautiful. 
Because when you look throughout the Bible, there are incredible images of God's forgiveness. I want to go through a few, with them, a few of these with you here today. So uh, one image is God says when, you, when, when he gives you forgiveness, he does not reckon sin to your account. So this is an economic term. And, uh, you know, it's like you had all these things, you know, in your account that you owed to God, and God just clears that account. Uh, somebody did some, a service for me a few weeks ago, and he didn't charge me for it. And when I got my bill, I saw all the services that he did, and I looked at the, the cost, and it was zero, 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 zero. Forgiveness is God reckoning not, or not reckoning sin to your account. He doesn't charge you for it. Here's another image. Uh, forgiveness is when God covers your sin. Uh, Psalm 32 talks about this in Romans 4, 7. Uh, you know, where God just simply covered like a blanket, he covers your sin so that you can't see it anymore and he can't see it anymore. Uh, I lose my phone all the time and sometimes it's under blankets in our house. The phone is covered. And this is the way that God describes forgiveness. He covers your sins so that you can't see it anymore and he can't see it anymore. Another image that God has is he puts sin behind his back. So this is Isaiah 38, 17. God puts your sin behind him. He, he, God, God he puts it in the past. He literally puts your sin behind him, and he doesn't bring it back out again. It is gone. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. Your sin is behind God's back. This is Isaiah 38. Here's another image. God removes our transgression as far from us as the east is from the west. God can't get your sin any farther from you. He carefully removes your sin, and he puts it as far away from you as the east is from the west. There's another place where it says that God buries our sin in the deepest sea. And I had an old pastor who used to say, God put your sins in the deepest sea, and he put up a no fishing sign. It's gone. It's forgiven. It's forgotten. It's buried. And another uh, thing that God says about our sin when he forgives it is he blots it out. This is Isaiah 43, 25. God blots out our sin. Uh, you know, in the old days, if you wanted to get rid of a piece of writing that you had, you'd blot it out with ink. But here's how I want you to think about it now. You know, we have computers, and what do you do when you want to get rid of something? Delete button, right? You push that button, and it's clear, and it's gone. And some of you have been working on papers or some documents for work, and you accidentally delete your, your thing, and there's no getting it back, uh, at least not that I know of. There probably is, but this is what God does. Is he, he pushes the delete button. He blots out your sin. He gets rid of it. It's gone. And then here's another image. It says that God sweeps away our sins like, like mist. This is Isaiah 44, 22. So imagine in the morning. You get up in the morning and there's dew and there's mist everywhere, but as the sun comes up, the dew dries up and the mist is gone. It's a brand new day. The sun is out. God says, when I forgive, forgive your sin, your sin becomes like that mist. It's gone. And everything is brand new. And then finally, this is the miracle of miracles. It says that in Jeremiah 31, God does not remember our sins. Jeremiah 31, 34, God does, God does not remember our sins. The gift of forgiveness. You don't have to earn it. You don't negotiate God for it. God doesn't sweep your sin underneath the rug. He acknowledges the debt and he lets it go. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, can't I exhaust this? I mean, what if I do it again and again and again? 
Well, notice here the, the verb where God says that he forgives. This is a pre- present participle, which means God is a forgiving God. That means that as many times as you sin, God forgives. You will not exhaust God's forgiveness. It forgives those things in the past, the present, and the future. So this is God's forgiveness. Number one, the need for it, sin, iniquity, transgression, guilt. Uh, what is it? It is God pushing the delete button. It's God putting your sin as far away from you as the east is from the west. God's saying that thing that you did, those things that you did, no matter how big they are, I am able to lift those things off your shoulders and take them away. Now, finally, the cost of forgiveness. Because somebody says, well, wait a minute, what about God's justice? I mean, is it, God, is it right for God just to take our sins away? We, we, we did them. You know, what about God's judgment and his punishment? That's in the passage too. I mean, God is a God who will not pardon the guilty. Does God just let that stuff go? And in this way, God's a little bit different than my mom. You know, my mom, when I got home from the car that day, she looked at me and she said, your dad didn't see that. We're going to pretend like it didn't happen. Her mercy triumphed over the judgment. But what about God as the God of justice? Can he just let that sin go? Well, here's where we see the cost of forgiveness. Because forgiveness always is costly. God, uh, sin always incurs a debt. And when God says he'll cover it, it always costs him something. So think about God's forgiveness like this. You're at a restaurant, and uh, everybody has purchased food, and then somebody stands up and says, I'll cover it. Does that mean that the, the debt is now gone? No, it means that the person who's covering it covering it, absorbs the debt. He pays the price. And this is how God covers our sins. He pays the price for it. Because somebody's got to pay. Imagine if you're driving down the road and somebody bangs into your car. You get a big dent in it. Now you have two choices at that moment. You can either forgive that person and say, you don't have to pay for my car. Or you say, you exact payment, you pay for my car. Either way, somebody pays. Either they pay for it or you're going to pay for it yourself. And when God forgives us, it always costs him. And this is why, why uh, Jesus, uh, this, is, this explains Jesus. Jesus Christ on the cross covering our sins is paying the price for our sin. He's taking what we deserved. First John says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Notice it doesn't say God is faithful and merciful to forgive us. He is faithful and just. In forgiving us, he upholds justice. Why? Because Jesus Christ took the just punishment for what we deserved. This is why the gospel is here. God's forgiveness cost him his own son. He absorbs our debt. He takes the burden on himself. And on the cross, he is... He is paying the price for our sins. It costs Jesus to forgive. But what's beautiful about this is that you can know that whatever it is you have done has been absolutely and concretely, it's been paid for through the death and resurrection of Jesus. There's, uh, you remember uh, Dr. Faustus, that there's a play Faust, Faust and, and there's this, this scene in the movie where a Faustus, who's this, uh, he sold his soul to the devil to get uh, power and, and knowledge. 
And at one point in the, in the story, he's feeling guilt over his sins. And he's, he's feels, he feels dirty. You know, he's, he's, he's done this horrible thing that he can't get rid of. And he's wringing his hands. And at one point, he goes out underneath the night sky. And he looks, looks up into the night sky. And he says, see, see where Christ's blood streams in the firmament. One drop, one drop would save my soul. Half a drop. Oh, my Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ is the price for your forgiveness. And therefore, half a drop, even the smallest amount, can make you absolutely clean. God has paid the price for your forgiveness himself. Well, let me apply this uh, just at the very end here. Uh, How do we experience God's forgiveness? Well, uh, you know, earlier in the service, we had a confession time where we confessed our sins and we received God's forgiveness. You know, I think one of the reasons why we don't feel forgiven is because we kind of just ignore our sins or we let them go or maybe we're negotiating with God. But, but putting this in your life, putting it at every service on Sunday, putting it every day of the week where you stop and you, and you just start saying, God, what have I done? Where have I broken your law? Where have I twisted my own personality? And you put that out there before God and then you remind yourself, I'm clean, I'm forgiven, I'm whiter than snow. So I thought at the very end of the service here, we could just take a moment and do that. And so just where you're sitting now, maybe, Lucas, you can come up on the stage here and play some worship, but just where you're sitting, let's bow our heads, and let's just take a moment and just kind of recount in your mind, where are the things, where are the sins in your life? Where are the iniquities? Where are the twisted parts of your personality? Maybe you, you got a fresh reminder this week of that. And just bring those things before God. And then remind yourself of the gospel. Jesus Christ has shed his blood so that you could be clean. So that you could be clean. So that you could stand up here today and receive the joy and freedom and blessing. Blessed is the man or woman whose sin is forgiven. This is the the message of Jesus Christ that he has come into the world, that he has given his life so that you can be clean. That thing that you've done in the past, that season of your life, you can let that go. You can really let it go. You don't owe God any more. The blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all of your sins. Receive that freedom today. Father, we thank you so much that you are a forgiver, that you are a God who is not only holy, but you are a God who is who has taken action so that we could be clean, so that we could be free, so that we could live lives of humility and boldness, of joy, just a sense of knowing that, that yes, we've blown it, yes, we mess up, and we, and we will in the future, but you are a God whose forgiveness will never run out. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.